Hi, I'm Teresa, and this is Magefølelsen podcast, which means the gut feeling. And in this podcast, I interview people that I find are really inspiring because they dare being themselves and they dare to drive change in this world. Because I truly believe that when we see ourselves as impactful, that we matter, we can also create the lives that we want to live. In today's episode, me and Nima Romani talk about relationships and how we can break our patterns, how we can break out of codependency and narcissism and take back our lives. We talk about polyvagal theory, somatic work, trauma bonds and attachment styles. And we talk about relationships and our partners being perfect reflections of ourselves because there's always two people creating a relationship. I had to contact Nima in Canada, where he lives. I don't know so many people in Norway who has this expertise, so I'm really happy to be able to share his knowledge. It's really, really groundbreaking and a different way of looking into codependency and narcissism. So I really hope you enjoy and learn a lot. Have a good one. Welcome to Magefølelsen podcast. That means the gut feeling in English. Mm, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I've been studying that yeah. in my own life. And um, yeah, the gut feeling, interoception is what it's called in somatic work. Yeah, that's cool. I realized after a while that what I meant with gut feeling, I think, was really intuition. <laughs> But in, in Norway, we say a lot, you know, listen to your gut. Mm, amazing. I have been listening to your work, your podcast and uh, your mm. YouTube channel quite a lot. Cool. I find that you have a really different way of looking at relationships and trauma. I tried finding someone in Norway that was doing the same thing as you and I, maybe there is someone, but I couldn't find. <laughs> Not too many of us around. <laughs> no. The way that I've kind of integrated all of it, uh, it's pretty unique. Mm. Actually, the feedback that I get from most of my students and clients is, I've heard this stuff before mm. in different parts, but I've never quite heard it presented in this way. And I think the benefit of The way that I present it is that I don't have a background in psychotherapy, mm. psychiatry, counseling. So I'm not bound by the regulatory bodies of what I should be saying. Because mm. what I teach is individuation. I teach how to break free from the system. But it's ironic that that's the only way. Carl Jung talks about that's really the only way for us to heal. We're on a journey of what's called individuation, breaking free from the conditioning of the structures of society and family that we were raised into. Mm -hmm. But yet we go to therapists and counselors often who are bound by structure and rules. And there's a huge blind spot there in the whole system. And so what I offer is kind of like a a break from that, mm. all of these concepts presented in a way that isn't bound by these regulatory bodies and rules is just bound by what actually works, what actually brings efficacy to liberating people and healing relationships. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's painful work. <laughs> you know, going to a therapist can in some way be really comfortable. 
Oh yeah. It's safe. It's safe. Oftentimes people are checking up to, to, to do uh, work with me and they're like, I've done counseling. I've done therapy for like 20 years and it's just not getting me there. And then I open the door and I show them exactly what it is that we do. Mm. And I say, this is it. Mm. This is what's going to get you the results. And they're like, mm, I'll just stick to my counselor. Mm. <laughs> In other words, it's just safe, just repeating my story and having it validated. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, this work is for people that want to actually transform, taking their pain and transforming it into their purpose and uh, actually creating transformation. Mm. And you look at the journey from the chrysalis to the butterfly, it's shedding of an old identity is really what this work is about. And most people are addicted to their old identities. Mm. And uh, therapy is often a good way, depending on the therapist, of course. Mm. It's not just all one size fits all, but a comfortable way of staying in my identity mm. while I just have somebody validate that identity so that I don't have to transform. I don't really have to change. Mm. I can just stay where I'm at. And so this is for people that are ready to kind of, who've done that. Mm. You know, what? one of the things I love is when I'm working with somebody, have you done therapy yet? No, I've never done. Well, we. I prefer you do that for a year or two before you, you know, this is for people like who've done the work and are ready to actually see a measurable result by embracing and changing their relationship with their own shadows, their discomfort, mm. parts they don't like about themselves. So yeah, it's fun work because I had to go through it. I put down some keywords. Sure. Let's talk. And and it was interesting because I, I went through your podcast and just wrote down words that I associate with you. Sure. But I would love if you would like to share a bit about yourself, your story and how you ended up there yeah. where you are today and a bit what you do. I trained as a chiropractor. I always knew that I wanted to assist in people's healing. But within about any, talk to any body worker, massage therapist, chiropractor, osteopath, medical doctor, physiotherapist, I've worked with all of them and they all say the same thing is that there is an intimate relationship between the mind and the body, the way we deal with stress. And I noticed a correlation in my practice between people who had chronic pain that wouldn't get better, chronic health issues, autoimmune, digestive, these types of presentations that would come in, anxiety, longstanding depression. And you go in and you get to know these people and they all have very similar backgrounds. And there is some sort of a trauma. There's an attachment trauma, whether they went through a divorce, breakup, grief, loss, or you can trace it back to a kind of like a experience of a, of a, of a rupture or feeling of a victimization from a parent that was really kind of bullying or authoritarian. Mm. And so it causes this response of the person kind of turning inward, this rage that they feel gets turned inward and it shows up in their health over time. And so I was always noticing this and I would notice this pattern, you know, helping people heal is all about observing patterns. After I went through my divorce and I started, you know, going through my own kind of personal growth journey, I started noticing this parallel between these attachment traumas mm. and people's um, health issues. Mm. 
as I kept integrating what I learned, I felt compelled to offer more than just the adjustment in the chiropractic clinic. Mm -hmm. And then I started creating these little workshops on Saturday mornings called Life Skills for a Stressful World, where I was like, these people, they, they, they need to learn skills in how to cope with what's happening around them and how to deal with these ruptures of their relational dynamics. Otherwise, you know, I'm just adjusting them. I'm not really helping them get to the upstream root cause. So as I went through even more relationship challenges and leading up to one of uh, avoidant, anxious kind of dynamic after another, lo and behold, I meet this amazing, uh, friendly soul who was my my biggest teacher. Uh, and I didn't know what a trauma bond was, but I got into what's called a trauma bond. And it was one of those push-pull dynamics where I could not leave. And the sexuality of it was really constantly pulling me back in. But I knew that it wasn't healthy and I couldn't leave. And I was like, what's going on? I'm an intelligent guy. I help a lot of people, but I seem powerless in the face of this relationship dynamic that felt really toxic. And it wasn't until uh, things became abusive with each other, abuse on her part, uh, abuse on my part, reactive type of physical violence type of thing, which was the biggest wake up call that I've ever had that led me to go, all right, I'm missing a component here. And I stopped working altogether. I stopped playing this role, this helper, this hero complex that tried to rescue people and get that validation by being the helper. And I really learned how to get in touch with the younger parts of me that felt the need to create this identity of Dr. Nima mm. to get his validation. And I realized that my entire life was a veneer to try to protect me from feeling the pain of that un unworthiness from that childhood wounding when I was a little boy and I was separated from my mother at the age of two. And so that led me down an entirely new path in understanding shadow work and um, polyvagal theory. And I went in and began my somatic experiencing training and I retired from chiropractic and I'm in the process of finishing up my book and it's called Trigger Proof, hmm. a guide to overcoming trauma bonds, healing codependency hmm. and attracting secure love. Hmm. So this my mess has become my message. And now I help people uh, who are in anxious, avoidant kind of relationship dynamics, boss babes who are in their masculine, who can't seem to surrender into their feminine and let go of control, but deeply want to be in their feminine. And, and men who are emasculated and constantly running into this kind of push-pull dynamic of either being the nice guy or not being able to regulate their emotions and, and be able to commit to just one. And I help them basically because they have kind of like the flip side of the same wounding. I help them integrate all of that so that they can create secure relationship while I continue to polarize my relationship, keep that polarity going, masculine, feminine dynamics, and, and create a secure family system for my now three-year-old son. And so mm. I teach what I most need to learn. and healing from trauma bonds and creating secure love and polarity on the other side of conscious relationship mm. is my jam now. Yeah. I find this really interesting. You tapped a bit into it, but you didn't use the words. Uh, I assume mm. when you also talk about attachment styles, this also has to do with narcissism and codependency. Mm. There's a little bit of an overlap. Um, yeah. There are kind of two different models. 
attachment styles. We have, you know, it's basically the way that we react to stress in relationships, essentially Mm. what our attachment style is. And it comes all the way down to how our primary caregiver, our parents kind of bonded with us. Mm. If we had a consistent, present parent who was able to sit with our emotions and be emotionally attuned to us, then we will predominantly have more of a secure attachment style. We don't chase after, we don't live kind of like in this needy type of um, situation in relationships. We don't kind of avoid uncomfortable conversations. When emotions get big, we don't just run away. We're able to have difficult conversations. We feel safe within ourselves. We feel secure. And that's kind of the ideal, but most of us haven't been raised with parents like that. And, um, we then either teeter on to the anxious where we kind of are in that neediness or the avoidant, which is we're predominated by the fear of being consumed or engulfed or, uh, you know, eaten alive. So we have two parts to us. We have anxious parts Mm. and we have avoidant parts. And so we all have them, but depending on your wounding, one of them will predominate. And it also depends on the partner that you're with. So you could be secure in one relationship, but then in another relationship, they're going to activate or bring up or trigger your anxious parts that need to chase. And then when you start dating another person, they might bring up your avoidant parts Uh, that feel like they need space. So we have all of these parts within us, but we don't know what to do with them. Now, the conversation about narcissism and codependency, that's a completely different kind of ballgame. These are usually labeled in the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual in Psychiatry as a personality disorder, but there's a lot of hot debate happening about this, is the saying that it's not actually a disorder. These are responses to trauma, Mm. the trauma of not feeling seen. Mm. So the the trauma of of not feeling seen other than physical violence and abuse and all that stuff there's a a small t trauma which is really trauma is not really what happened to us but our response to what's what's happening around us and mm. it it doesn't have a chance to kind of move through us or process so it just stays stuck in our body and that's really what trauma is And it's traumatic for a child to not have emotional attunement. So they have two various, very opposing different reactions to this. One is to create this grandiose, false, godlike, kind of super duper strong, false self. Mm. Narcissism, it's kind of the solution to that wound. And then the other kind of reaction to this experience, this trauma of not feeling seen this complete obsession with kind of blending in, belonging, being the good person, the nice guy, good girl who will abandon themselves and be whatever they need to be in order to get that validation and approval. And these are two of the same wounds, but two very opposing kind of responses to Mm -hmm. one another, the narcissist kind of role, and then the codependent or borderline type of role. And these two are literally like a moth to a flame for one another. They become a perfect kind of match. And generally speaking, narcissists will teeter towards avoidant, but they have anxious parts to them, which is mm. what causes the love bombing, mm. uh, which is the, 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 the really like the chase, right? And then the codependent, is predominantly will be associate or identify as the anxious Mm. attached. 
So there is overlap. Generally speaking, it's more narcissists will be the avoidance. However, narcissists can also be extremely anxiously attached and, you know, depends. It depends on where the wound is activated. The way that I like to kind of think of of it is that we aren't all just one solitary kind of label. We have various parts within us. And um, it's important that we don't kind of diagnose or label, but in order for us to heal, we got to be able to see all of our parts, our narcissistic parts, our codependent parts, because there's usually an overlap that happens and you're not just one without being the other. Mm. <laughs> so there's 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 both in everything. Even though people love to say my ex is a narcissist, how many people have I worked with who identify as the codependent and pointed the finger at their ex as the narcissist and they are literally displaying all of those various similar traits and they can't see it. So labeling others is kind of like a little bit of a red flag. <laughs> yeah, I found that was really interesting uh, that... If you're in a codependent narcissist relationship, most likely every second relationship, you will be kind of the codependent or the narcissist yeah. because yeah. The, it comes from the same place, the same wounding. Exactly. So you will have the same kind of traits. Yeah. And then one of the reasons you really struggle with the other person's behavior is because it's a mirror of parts of yourself that you haven't learned to love. Exactly. You'll be a narcissist in one relationship and then the codependent in another. Everybody can kind of identify. They look back and see that they were the one that was doing the love bombing and they were the one that was kind of like the narcissist role in one relationship. And the other one, they were constantly like waiting for breadcrumbs, codependent and obsessed with what the other person was doing. So you can be both. You are both. This is one of the things in our Cycle Breakers Academy is like I help people, they come in and they want to just diagnose and label their ex. And my work with them is to help them see how they are a perfect reflection so that they get past the victimhood. If it, I mean, it feels great. At first, when you're in despair, you're really hurting. You go onto the internet and there's tons of videos that diagnose your partner and then you become obsessed, mm. obsessed with diagnosing them and reading about them and learning about them. And it's good in the beginning because it helps you make sense of your experience because you, you're feeling such despair and such shame and you're blaming yourself. So now you see a video that says, oh, he's a narcissist. He's like this, 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 and this. And you're like, oh, wow, my experience is validated. It's not me. I'm not the bad guy. And we're all afraid of being the bad guy. Mm -hmm. So we point the finger and it feels safe to label and diagnose people. And I just use that as kind of like a starting point. But the real question is, where do you want to go? Like, mm -hmm. what's the outcome you want? You really, at the end of the day, want a secure relationship. But you can't if you're playing the victim mm. to somebody else and giving away your power, fearful that there's going to be another one that's going to come and kind of engulf you and eat you alive. Yeah. And this is giving your power away. So the way that you reclaim power is being able to see where you were playing the bad guy role, where you were the villain in their story. Mm. To own our perpetrator role is reclaiming the power that we've given away when we play the victim. It's very uncomfortable to admit, but it's... People hate that. They hate it. And, you know, maybe our exes and our current partners are bad people, but does it really help us? <laughs> like, yes, maybe other people do things, but when I focus on me, yes, I have the power to do something. That's the first step. 
you focus on you. And Mm -hmm. once you really go deeper with the work, you look at the other person that you labeled as bad. Mm -hmm. And when you really understand human behavior, Mm -hmm. every human behavior is an attempt to palliate anxiety. So their bad behavior that you're judging is a reaction. It's just all they know to try to keep themselves safe. Mm. That's it. That's all that's happening. Even though it seems evil Mm. in their experience, it's justified. Every villain in the story feels justified in their behavior. When you understand the mechanism behind their behavior, then it's impossible for you to stay victim to it. Mm. You can actually have compassion towards it after you've given yourself compassion. You don't want to give the other compassion before you've looked at yourself and given that to you. Mm. But once you do, you're, you're free. You're free. Yeah, that's interesting. So what are these repetitive relationship patterns and why do we choose partners in the way that we do? Well, we are, it's, Freud called it the repetition compulsion. We're unconsciously trying to work through what was incomplete in childhood. So if you had an emotionally unavailable father, you will have that experience of emotional unavailability. It's what it's called in somatic work, coupled with love. Mm. So a man shows up and he's emotionally available for you. You're like, what the hell? This doesn't feel good. It feels gross. Like there must be something wrong with him. But that guy over there who's ignoring me, oh my God, I'm so, what a turn on. And you actually get maybe even a sexual thrill out of it because is a compulsion to repeat Mm. what was familiar to her the little girl inside of you wants to complete and and so that she can resolve it. And by getting the guy, by having sex with him, by having the orgasm with him, it's this addictive experience of dopamine because her needs met that weren't got, that weren't gotten when she was a child. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it's going to go back through the cycle. Once the love bombing is done, then devaluing or after intimacy happens where his fear of being consumed comes up or maybe your fear of being consumed comes up and you go, I can't, this is too scary. I can't deal with this anxiety. And then you pull away. And now the the abandonment wound gets activated and you're like, oh my God, I got to go back and get this. It's so addictive because by getting him, I'm going to complete what was incomplete with my father. So it's called the repetition compulsion. It's familiar and it gives you an opportunity to finish what was unfinished from childhood, but it never finishes. Mm. So it's a exhaustive, painful, uh, gut-wrenching cycle. And it actually it involves mental health breakdown and physical health breakdown. And it spills over into the children until somebody steps up and says, I'm going to break the cycle. So how do we break the cycle? The only way to break the cycle, uh, it's like, it's like an addiction, any other addiction. You're not going to want to break it until the pain of living that way overrides the fear of change. So there's no doing it without pain. So you have to choose 
And the way that you break that is a process, is a path that I created Hmm. called becoming trigger-proof. This is what I had to do. I couldn't break the cycle until I did these steps and learning how to take your triggers that come up, okay? Where the fear of abandonment comes up, trigger number one. Fear of engulfment is trigger number two. These are the main triggers. Any relationship that, let's say, you and I start dating. Oh, hey, I love your podcast. Let's reach out. Let's have start a relationship. Okay, great. In that starting, once the chemicals are done, either you or I are going to activate each other's fear of abandonment, Mm. wound, or fear of engulfment or fear of consumption, fear of being kind of consumed, overwhelmed. Mm. Number one. And then once that's done, communicate to the other person using a form of communication especially if you're a woman that doesn't like judge or blame, (laughs) which is tough for a woman to do. And for a man using communication that isn't laced with irritation, it's more of a masculine kind of devotional, getting these big emotions of our woman shared when they're not laced with judgment. Okay. So the challenge for a man is to learn how to integrate these activations, these triggers when they come up and communicate his judgments about her, constructive judgments without lacing them with like feelings. You're being disrespectful. Mm. That won't land on your system versus babe. You're being disrespectful. You're judging. Tell me how you're feeling now, sweetheart, without blaming me for it. Let's try it again. Mm. See, that's directive masculine type of communication after he's integrated. And it sounds really easy, but it's not. (laughs) As a man feels so violated and attacked when he's being judged. Mm. So how to break the cycle is a man must learn how to regulate when the trigger happens and integrate with the younger parts, number one, and then communicate in a devotional masculine way, which leads her out of her judgments, out of her blaming, into her feelings, mm. into her body. And then in that moment, a polarization happens. And now that cycle is broken through rupture and repair. Mm. It's not going to happen without rupture and repair. It's tough. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Mm. You got to actually be willing to be with somebody who's going to rupture and repair with you. Mm. Okay. Now for a woman, how does she break the cycle? Her work is to heal those attachment wounds. And just like the man to individuate from mommy and daddy. She's got to break free from the spell of, you know, abusive mother, narcissistic father, whatever story she's got. She's holding on to that story, it's impacting her choices in relational dynamics. Mm. And her work is like one lady who's in this, should I stay or go? She's in a trauma bond with 30 years with this man. She had an abusive father who was like super duper, like authoritarian. So because of her wounding against that, she meets what she perceived as a complete opposite, really nice guy, totally safe, non-threatening. And then after a couple of years, the child is two and a half years old. 
they had a kid two and a half years old. She discovers that he's into all the same kinky stuff that her father was hiding and he's hiding it too. Is like, oh my gosh, this is my father mm. and been back and forth with him. And so now what we're doing is we are working through the woundings of her dad because the, the incomplete with her dad ends up recreating it in her marriage. Mm. So you got to transcend the authority of your parents. Easier said than done, right? <laughs> Especially if you come from a Persian household, like I, you know, a mm. Persian family system where family systems are like this. This is like, you literally have to break free from that system. The way that you do this, you have to divorce your parents, mm. and become an adult, right? Mm. Otherwise you're going to keep marrying them. Okay. Yeah. Number two is to learn feminine communication. Instead of saying, you did this, I'm mad at you because you, 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 mm. this, this judgment and this blame that women will do in conflict, feel. then they say, oh, I feel so gaslit. I feel invalidated. Well, because you're attacking, you want his protection, but he's using that protection to guard against all of your emotional judgments and and, and manipulation and blame. He has no energy to actually protect you because he's trying to protect himself from the judgment and blame. He doesn't have the skills to mm. lead you out of those judgments into your feelings. And quite frankly, most women, most people, humans, we don't learn how to feel and share mm -hmm. from a place of I feel, Yeah. right? So, so the healing to break the cycle, it's a relationship with ourselves, relationship with our emotions, relationship with the little child inside of us that needs mommy and daddy's validation and didn't get it. And so is looking for it through a fucking partner and it's never going to happen. And they're looking through it for with us. And this toxic dynamic is a cycle through love bombing, then devaluing, then discarding and pushing and pulling. And it's exhausting and it'll make you sick until you stand up and say, it ends with me. Because if you don't, it then passes to the children who are watching the entire thing happen, feeling unseen and unheard, ready for the next generation of trauma bonds. So this is very important work. I have a three-year-old son now, and I really want to make sure that he's raised in an environment where he can learn how to have what a secure family system feels like. And this is really what I'm all about. Yeah. I one thing that I haven't heard you say before is uh you were very specific about the male and the female role. Mm. Masculine feminine. You can also do same sex. This is not mm. gender specific, but okay. it's masculine and feminine polarity, the dynamics because in order to have attraction, we have to have a positive and a negative pole. Is in order for there to be a charge why we get into relationships in the first place is because mm. of unconscious polarity. We have this pull with a magnetism between mm. the masculine and the feminine is very strong, the lead and the surrender. What mm. I'm proposing is to create polarity on the other side of a secure bond. So create secure relationship with you. And then consciously, like my wife, she's a black belt in Taekwondo. She's got a master's degree in sociology. She's not like subjugating or self uh, kind of like disempowering at all. Mm. However, we've both decided we want a polarized relationship where there's a masculine lead and a feminine follow, surrender. Mm. 
And that is important to keep the attraction and the magnetism in a long-term relationship. Otherwise, we open up to affairs, we open up to emotional affairs, physical affairs, uh, a lack of connection. Polarity Mm -hmm. is what causes magnetism. And we can have that in our conscious relationships if we choose to do the dance. It's a dance. Mm. What is your recommendation then to women who are quite like independent and strong, who are used to being leaders? Because I guess a lot of them and including myself can feel that this is part of our identity. Exactly. I mean, think about it. Let's celebrate that. Congrats. Mm. You're a boss, babe. You're leading. (laughs) You're independent. You don't need a man. Yay. And yet... If you can be honest, there's an instinctual part of you that's instinct in femininity that wants to be protected, that wants to be provided for. You can't deny that. You can try and, you know, try to come at me, prove Mm -hmm. me wrong, but there it's within your instinct. But because of the wounding, we cover up those instincts. So the Mm -hmm. first step that I, when I'm working with people is just to kind of help them acknowledge that it's not wrong for them to want to have that. Mm. And that's a big, big, huge thing because in 2023, it's like a hush. It's, it's, it's like a taboo to even say, <gasps> yeah. And how many times have I worked with a woman who's like a boss babe and she's just bawling and she's going, yeah, I want to be a wife. Mm. You know, I'm just so tired of the hustle and I just want to be provided for and protected and all that. And I'm like, I know the problem is that the more hyper-independent and masculine traits that a woman will get to, the more masculine a man she's going to require. Mm. But the problem is these masculine men who are protectors and providers in their own right don't need a woman to provide for them. They want a more feminine woman who really likes to receive and Mm. is gratefully surrender and wants to be that right? Mm. I told my wife, I said, listen, you have the option. You could work. You could, she goes, no, I really love wanting, I just want to stay home and look after you and Dominic. I'm like, great. That's what I'm looking for. As Mm. are we allowed to say that right now in 2020? Mm. Is that, are we allowed to, am I going to get canceled? That's what's happened to society. So Mm. the first step to raise is to acknowledge that that's what you want Mm. and to learn the skill. And that's great that you're a boss, babe, and you have all this kind of independence, The question is, when you're at work and you're giving directives to your team, to your management team, to your clients, and you're leading them, that feels good, right? Do you really want a man that you kind of are leading? It's interesting because I actually more and more, I don't want to lead. I want to coach. Exactly. So I want to ask questions. You want to express your creativity, but not to actually for the sake of like paying bills. It's like, because it's an expression of your curiosity and your growth, Mm. but not to be a protector and provider. That's amazing. Just acknowledge that. And the more that you heal, the more that Mm. feminine instinct will come up because what blocks Mm. your feminine instincts Mm. are the woundings. As the, you heal more and more from the things that had you block your femininity and push that femininity aside, because that's what society does. Society is basically taking femininity and going, let's just fucking push it down to the, to the basement because it's, no, it's of no value, which is completely wrong. Mm. And once you heal, you're like, no, I want to 
I want to be creative. I want to flow. I want to mm-hmm. dance. I want to learn what I'm curious about. I want to express myself. I want to feel this is attractive to a masculine guy. It's really interesting when you say this, because I also see this, I'm an entrepreneur and I've been spending some time because I've been doing healing the past year. And in this period, I also started my own business Mm -hmm. and I needed to stop my uh, development a bit because I was a bit uncertain where I was going to end. And the more I see is that I've been in management and I was doing a lot of uh, leadership leadership. And now I see that I don't want to necessarily lead. I want to I want to help other people find their inner guide. Yeah. It's this transition. I I see it happening, but it takes some time and it's it's a confusing time as well because it's it's not just my private life, it's also work and it's yeah. it's like it's it's really nice, but it's confusing to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just deciding that what you want first that this is what you want number 1 mm-hmm. and learning the skills of transitioning between Mm. work, leadership, and then having a little kind of ritual. I coach my students Mm. to this ritual so that when you're in your private life, you can be the follow. You don't, you don't want to lead a relationship. You want to be led in a, most women who are healthy Mm. and their, their feminine instincts are online. Want a man who takes charge, command, not can like controlling, domineering, but devotionally dominating, taking a command of the direction of the relationship. I got you containment, right? Mm. So that you can then relax and surrender in that. But there's, you know, you got to get past the story of, am I worthy and deserving of that? Yeah. And I guess there's also, you know, with the, it's kind of like dominant and submissive, I think there's a misunderstanding that some people that dominate, that they it becomes selfish. It's like, oh, then I can do everything my way instead of thinking, right. oh, this is- It's in I, service. I, yeah. It's yeah. in service to the one receiving. Yeah. Yes. In true polarity work, my devotional leadership and dominance to my wife is in service to her. Mm. It actually holds her best interest at heart. That's the true nature of it. It's not just selfishness. And this is how, you know, I was doing this before I did my healing work was everything I was doing was just purely, I was just thinking with the head in my pants. Mm. It wasn't with her heart in mind. Mm. And it took me getting to uh, heal these wounds with the masculine and the feminine and to heal those attachment wounds for me to finally say, I want to lead, but it's for the best of our entire family. It's for her so that she can receive because I get joy in her receptivity Mm. and submission to my leadership that Mm. meets my needs and my leading her and what's best for her and creating a container where she can thrive and do what she wants and express herself in the ways she wants, which is in parenting right now that meets both of our needs. And so this is a way to get both needs met, which have been covered up by all this wounding and all the societal conditioning and all the family systems conditioning, what we're doing here to become a cycle breaker, you got to go deeper beyond the societal conditioning than the cultural conditioning and the family conditioning and get to the core of what we really want, a secure bond that's safe where the masculine is leading the relationship and the feminine is following because mm-hmm. she knows that it every all the leadership is for the we, 
the container, the union is the, it's both done in service of the union. Mm-hmm. Both needs are being met and the union thrives. I guess it, it requires a really healthy masculine. And it, when you say the masculine can also be a female. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I mean, we have to, um, you know, a healthy masculine is in devotion to something greater. Mm. Whereas most of us masculine, when we're kind of overwhelmed and consumed by our wounding, mm. we can't be in service to something greater because we're in the stuck in survival mode. Well, what what I would just say masculine behavior, because everything what you're talking about isn't masculinity, toxic masculinity. It's not masculinity. It's mm. like there's masculinity and then there's woundedness. There's femininity and then there's woundedness. Yeah. So that's, you, you nailed it. Uh, absolutely. That's it. It's healthy masculinity or true, but devotional masculinity mm. has a greater cause than just the ego self. Is like, mm. I'm doing this in service to, to the greater. I could have asked you so many more things. <laughs> Let's do another part two. Yeah. <laughs> I'm up for that. Yeah. I think your, um, your teachings are really interesting and it, I think it challenged a lot of things that people think in society and Mm -hmm. uh, normality in Norway. uh, We have a very female rights have gotten really far. Inverted. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's really good. But I think in this, a lot of women have lost their femininity. Yep. Families suffer. Families suffer because of that. And I also think a lot of women suffer because we don't almost feel that we can need something or ask for help. And this is basically what you say that we need more of. And, uh, yes, and, uh, because and it gives the masculine a chance. Yeah. yeah, we, we, this is one of the rules. One of the things that I teach, I just did a class on that this, this past week in our um, program. Um, the directives that I gave the women is go ask for help. If you want to mm-hmm. be more feminine, just ask for help because it just triggers and activates the masculine instinct. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I can be of service. Let me, because the masculine instinct is to serve, is to be mm. of service, is to fix problems, is to solve problems. Mm. So if you say, may I have some help, both of, and then receive. The biggest obstacle though, Therese, is that you have a story about receiving. Yeah. And receiving <laughs> feels, oh, it feels gross to your system. I'm not worthy of it. So there, that's your work to do. To get into your feminine, you got to work on your receiving. Mm. Yeah. It's scary, but the work is possible if you're willing to go into your body. And you can't learn this from watching YouTube videos and listening to podcasts, though. You actually have to go into the container and be directed and like feel the discomfort and Mm -hmm. practice, which is exactly what what the work is. Most people use podcasts and YouTube videos as a way to avoid the work as well. I'll just watch some videos, kind of like I'll just talk to my therapist good way to avoid the work. Careful that you're not using it to actually avoid the real work. Yeah. Yeah. I know you have a meeting, so I'm going to let you go, but thank you so much for guesting. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there's best way to get started is that the overview experience Mm -hmm. where I teach um, the the, the actual tool of taking your trigger and turning it into deeper Mm self-love 
and a conflict and turning it into deeper intimacy. Like I take my whole kind of academy and I take them through the process itself and I leave the some spaces open for guests to come and check it out. Wow, that's great. I'll add that. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. If you like this episode, I hope you also want to listen to some of my other episodes. They are in both in Norwegian and English. And that you want to give me some good ratings so that the word can spread to many more people. And please share it to another friend or a colleague or maybe a foe that you think could also benefit from hearing this story. And uh, if you're curious about me, you can always check me up. My name is Therese Valentin. There are links in the episode description, both to my LinkedIn and my webpage. I think that's about it. Have a good day.